This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever preview show and podcast brought to you in association with the TalkSport Fan Network. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is Tom Whitaker. Um, we are looking back at another hard-fought game um, away in the capital, two away games in London in the space of four days, and a four-point return from those two games. Keeps the unbeaten run going to 13 games, and the goals scored to an incredible 30 consecutive matches. We'll also be looking ahead to the next championship fixture, which is a home tie against Neil Warnock's Huddersfield. Vincent Company versus Neil Warnock is not a managerial setup that I thought I'd ever see us do. Here we are. We're going to go ahead and preview that game. Let's go. Tom, let's dive straight in then and talk about that trip to Millwall. Um, as we said in the intro, two away games to Luton and Millwall, two London trips in the space of four days against two really physical sides, both trying to fight for promotion through the playoffs um, with perhaps something more to play for than Burnley, dare I suggest, now that it looks like promotion's pretty much sealed. I think you'd you'd forgive the Clarets for taking their foot off the gas a little bit. Um I'm going to start by presenting to you the argument that given the pretty much walking wounded state of our squad, is this a really good return four points from those two games or should we expect more from this side? Yeah, I think it's been easy this season to to just assume we are going to win every game. Um, but I think if you were sensible looking at the, uh, as you said, the, the, the way the circumstances have fallen, so it's too long trips in a few days. We've got a few players out injured. Um, we've been Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for weeks now. It's been, it feels like ages since we've had a midweek off. So when you add all these things together and you consider you're playing two playoff teams um, away from home, you know, within the space of a few days. And as you said in your intro, you know, that the physicality of these teams is something that we've struggled to deal with at times in, uh, in some of the previous fixtures. So I think if you were to add all those things together, um, four points is a is a fantastic return, as you say. Keeps the unbeaten run going. Uh, you know we've we've extended our lead over third place. We've extended our lead over Sheffield United with those results. So there's there there's just really no no downside. And I think anyone who's disappointed is probably has probably been made slightly greedy by the uh, by how good this team's been. 
I think we like that, aren't we? And Burnley fans aren't used to this incredible season. It's been a while since we had a season like this. So, uh, you know, I, I do forgive them a little bit of overexcitement. Um, yeah, you're talking about that gap to Sheffield United. It's now 12 points. I keep getting absolute pelters on social media for this, but I refuse to stop saying it. But I just, it's done. The season is done. I cannot see anything other than Burnley lifting that title and getting promoted. So I think we can definitely start planning ahead for what division we're going to be in next season. Um, it looked like in the second game in the row, in a row, sorry, um, that Ashley Barnes was going to score uh, the winner. Another unbelievable performance. And we talked about this, I think, in our group chat not so long ago. I was reminded the other day of that incident in the Chef United game when we were the one where we lost, um, where Barnes had a little bit of a hissy fit on and, and fell out with with company. And he, I think he had a tantrum because it looked to the world like that second half against Chef United that Ashley Barnes was a player we needed um, to give a little bit of physical pushback. And he, he didn't get brought on and he really was unhappy about that. And since that game, not only have Burnley gone on an incredible unbeaten run, but Barnes has been playing. He was in, amazing again in the East Lanks derby and is playing in a form we've not seen. Um, combination, I think, Tom, of really good man management from, from Vincent Company, but also unreal professionalism from Ashley Barnes. Yeah, um, I mean, I've said it a few times on the podcast this season that I thought Barnes' time was done and I, I wouldn't mm. mind not seeing him again. You know, I hold my hands up. I was, I was obviously um, very wrong about that. There was the Sunderland game away where he was just like a lead weight dragging the team down. He'd come off at half-time and we scored four goals and you were thinking, can't really see a way back from here. But mm. there's obviously a bit of, um, I think humility is maybe the right word. Like, uh, a, a, you know, a, he's at the age that he is, he's 32, 33 now, Barnes. You know, he's had a few years in the Premier League and obviously he's been asked to play a completely different way than he has been in the last few years. Yeah. And there's a lot of players, you know, he's he's got six months left on his contract. There's a lot of people who just think, you know, sad this, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'll just, I'll sit here, I'll pick my wage up and uh, and I'll carry on. And and I wonder if maybe, um, you know, that reaction, as you mentioned, to, to not coming on against Sheffield United, maybe that is something that convinced company that to, to think, you know, Actually, he has got some of the qualities. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't really put those two together, but it's a a good point when you think about it and you think of the difference of standing up to the crosses and the corners against Luton and Millwall versus what we were doing against Sheffield United. It's uh, I hadn't considered it, but it's a really good point and and perhaps it's not a coincidence that those two things arrived Mm. next to each other. And the only thing that his game's really been missing since the World Cup is, is goals. So to get back to back goals in those two games, you never thought he was going to miss the penalty. Just doing what centre forwards need to do on Tuesday night, just popping yeah. up Johnny on the spot, tucking it away. Um, could have had another one as well near the end, maybe he snatched it on a little bit. But I think with uh, with Rodriguez prior to his injury, he just didn't seem to be getting in those positions. So no. um, that's another another facet that Barnes has brought to it in the last few weeks. It's uh, it's getting on the end of crosses and things like that as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and, and it, it's really fascinating to watch the various forms Ashley Barnes has, t- has taken from, you know, coming in in the championship season as cover for Ings and, and Volks. And, and we didn't think he was good enough for the championship then. And it's, it's, it's proved us wrong so many times. And, and it's just it's just great. I've personally not been as concerned with his lack of goals, um, just mainly because he's turned into 
something that he hasn't ever been, I don't think, in his his career with us. And that's an incredible provider. Um, that relationship he'd sparked with, with Nathan Teller was really quite a joy to watch. And he was just laying them on for him all the time. And that little one-on-one with them where Barnes would, use his physicality to get hold of the ball, bring it down and just lay it on for Teller, who had all the space in the world to put it in the back of the net. It's just been a really great thing. Um, Teller's another one I was going to pull out as well, Tom. Um, we're told by Vincent Company that he, he just didn't want to risk playing Nathan Teller from the start, particularly away at Millwall after he'd gone off pulling his um, hamstring, which was a bit tight, the, the game before, I think, the, the Luton game. Seemed a bit of an odd one to me to bring him on in the first place. I, I, you were at the game. Did it feel like it was the right time to bring Teller on? I think it was really surprising that um, that he'd even made the bench. He, he was right mm. in front of me at Luton when he pulled up, and I thought that's his hamstring. This could be a few weeks. Yeah. The same with Bayer actually, and, and we're told that Bayer will be back on Saturday. Mm. So there's perhaps perhaps uh, you know just getting the wrong end of the stick, and and I think company said that the Teller one was a bit of cramp, and he's. He's obviously played a lot recently and, and he does a lot of running. So, um, yeah, I think the, the big surprise for me was to see him on the bench. But I thought, you know, if, if he is fit enough to be on the bench, then I did expect him to see to see him involved at some stage. And I think the fact that we, you know, we, we've gone to just try and set shut up shop, you know, and, and see the 1-0 win out. And we took a lot of the, maybe the attacking threat off. So mm. I think it was just a good sign that we wanted to, to go again and try and win the game when he came on. I thought he... It, I didn't. If you can't do ten minutes, then he shouldn't be on the bench. So, I didn't have any particular concerns with that. And uh, and in the event he he wasn't too involved in the game, really, anyway, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's probably fair. Um, were we a little wasteful in front of goal? There was quite a few chances. I know Zaruri, Twine, Barnes, they all had opportunities to get a second. And there was a point midway through the second half, I think, where Brownhill hit the post. Were we maybe not as slick in front of goal as we have been, a bit more ruthless that, that we have been in the previous few games? Yeah, it's a good question, actually, because um, in in the ground at the time, it felt like a draw was probably about right. And we were getting the train back chatting to Millwall fans and they all thought that we should have beat them quite handily. Um, well, after, then, after seeing the game, that wasn't after, a prediction. Oh, OK. Yeah, after the game, yeah, they they thought they were they were quite lucky to get away with the point. Um, and then I watched the, the the highlights the club put out two minutes. I know obviously it's the club's highlights, so they're more likely to show our chances than theirs. But you know, I was watching that back and I was thinking, actually, we you know we we could easily have had this wrapped up. Um, yeah. Brownie one that hit the post is the obvious one. That was a bit unlucky. Um, but two or three in the first half, uh, Twine got in good positions. Um, there was one for Zorori where it just uh, trickled past the far post, and I think Barnes's ball two in was perhaps just a bit over hit. And if he played that into his feet properly, he might have had a, a bit more room for the shot. Um, I listened to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Not The Top 20 podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard yeah, of that. Um, yeah, I've started listening to it this year. Now we're, now we're featured on it again. And um, <laughs> they talk a lot on there about XG. Now, I'm not, I'm not the world's biggest fan of XG. It's not no, something I'm I've not. got a great amount of stocking. But they've said for quite a few weeks that, Burnley's, uh, you know, during this sort of 10-game winning run, the, we were posting well above our expected goals, which is normally a sign that your finishing is really clinical, but at some point it's going to drop off. So possibly that's just what we're seeing. Um, but uh, I think if you look at the last two games, Luton, we didn't really create anything um, in open play during the 90 minutes, and yet we're coming away with a 1-0 win. Millwall, we created quite a bit more, and yet we only got a draw. But I think 
probably a draw would have been fair at Luton and a, and a win would have been fair at Millwall. Yeah. So you can't complain too much of that outcome. And uh, and again, over the season, it's not exactly been a, a major problem scoring goals. So, uh, so I'll allow the players an off night, especially with people missing. Good. One of the other questions that's come out of the last two games is Burnley's ability to compete and excel in games, particularly away from home, where we're facing a very strong physical side and both Luton and Millwall most definitely fall within that character. Did you feel that that was something that we did do well in? Do you feel like there is work to be done on... Because we're not particularly tall side. I mean, I think our centre-halves are nice and big and strong, but generally speaking, when you come, it always seems to, to me that all the championship sides are bigger than us. Uh, we've got quite a short team, and they, they've obviously got a lot of flair and fantastically entertaining. Um, where do you sit in terms of Burnley's ability to, to match and better a physical side? Yeah, I think uh, you made a really good point earlier about Barnes making a difference in that in that respect. I think that's, it's not just his physicality, but also his mentality as well. Yeah, that seems to have imbued itself into into some of the other players. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a lot of teams show us a lot of respect, and it's not a challenge we've come up against too often this season. Teams putting balls in the box and, and set pieces, and as we know, we we really crumbled against Sheffield United uh, when that pressure was put on. So. Uh, that would be another reason that you might have been trepidatious about these last two fixtures. I think one player that I'd really like to single out in terms of the improvement um, would be Murich. Um, mm. Obviously, he had a really poor game against Sheffield United. Um, he made the mistake against Watford, and I, I sent a tweet out after um, that got a bit of uh, a bit of debate going. It is, I'm, I'm more than happy with him in the Championship. I think you look at our goals conceded; it's ridiculously low. Is uh, you know he's sort of 80% of what he's doing in the championship is is the ball at his feet and spraying it around and he's only having to do 20% of goalkeeping and and what worries me is next season when it's when the ratio goes the other way and he's yeah. having to keep the ball out more but I think in the last two away games he's really stood up um, he just looks more more confident more aggressive coming off his line he, I don't think he had a great deal to do in either game in terms of shot stopping but where we needed him was to come off his line to come and make these claims you know he's a big lad he should be able to do it and we didn't see it in some of the previous games, but I thought that had really improved. And, and whether that's coaching or um, the goalkeeping coach working with him, or maybe it's just a mentality thing. And, and yeah. I, I'd probably put it down to that as much as anything else. But that's been really good. So it's that it's those kind of things that that give me a bit more hope for next season because I I feel like um, these last two games we've seen a glimpse of what we might get next season, which is it's not going to be we're not going to have it all our own way. We're not going to have as much of the ball. We're going to have more defending to do. And I think we've. Uh, you know, one goal conceded in those two games is is a good return, and I think we've uh, we've shown that we've we've got that ability to us as well. Excellent. Well, I'm going to leave it there because I think that there wasn't any other talking points coming out of the game, and I think that's a pretty good summary of exactly where the Clarets um, fared away at Millwall. So, summary from us: four points away. Um, from those two games, given the state of the squad um, in terms of injuries and where we are in the season, I think it's uh, really impressive. And um, we carry on this weekend. And that weekend is, of course, listeners, a home tie against Huddersfield Town, Saturday the 25th of February, a 3pm kickoff. Uh, before we get into the game itself, um, we do have a quiz question that we need to give you an answer to. Uh, we asked you last preview show, can you please name the two Burnley players who were sent off in past matches at Millwall? Now, 
did you know any of these, Tom, before we give out the answers? Uh, no, to be honest, uh, Tuesday night was my first ever trip to Millwall. And I find that if I was not the game, things don't stick in my head quite as well. Same. So, no, yeah, absolutely the same. Yeah, I, I always remember things when I've been at the game and not so much of the last. But we had quite a lot of listeners who got one of these players right, which was Clark Carlisle in October 2010. The other one was Paul Weller in February 2004. Uh, we didn't get any listeners this week who got those both right. Um, as I said before, a lot of people got... Clark Carlisle, but didn't get uh, Paul Weller. So you don't need to hang around for very long, listeners. Just wait until the end of the show and we will give you another quiz question to test yourselves this week. Uh, before we get into the game then, um, as part of our preview, we are going to head over to the preview show studio where we are joined by resident statistician Dave Roberts, who's going to give us the championship head-to-head. The current campaign is the 34th that Burnley have faced the Terriers in league football. But with the majority of those seasons, 21, being in the top flight, plus another four in the third tier, this is just the ninth time we've been together in the second tier. As usual, we'll be looking back at the previous matches at this level. And as this Saturday's matches at Turf Moor, it's the home games we'll be focused on. Three of the eight past matches on our list were prior to the First World War, and all three were Burnley victories. In January 1911, the score was 2-1, with both Burnley goals from Charlie Bates. He scored the opener early in the second half, but the visitors equalised with a penalty with just five minutes remaining, before Burnley got a spot kick of their own just a minute later. In April 1912, goals from Bert Freeman, Dick Lindley and Tommy Boyle helped the Clarets to a 3-0 win. And then later that year, in the October, Burnley were 4-0 winners, with Bert Freeman among the scorers once more. Our next home match against the Terriers at this level was in February 1973. The Burnley Express headline read, It's the points that matter, and both points were vital as we pushed for promotion from the second division. Jeff Nulty and Billy Ingham were the goal scorers on this occasion in a 2-1 victory. The next time we met at Turf Moor at this level was in February of 2001 and we were thankful for a solitary goal from Steve Davis who headed the ball in from Glenn Little's cross. And then in February 2013 we suffered a rare defeat. James Vaughan was on the score sheet as the visitors came away with a 1-0 win. There are just two more home matches in the Championship, one in each of Burnley's last two promotion campaigns. On New Year's Day 2014, a Danny Ings double and another from Kieran Trippier helped the Clarets to a 3-2 victory. Ex-Claret striker Martin Patterson scored both of Huddersfield Town goals in that one. And the last time we met at Turf Moor at this level was in the first half of the 2015-16 season, and that's the match we're going to keep back to cover in our memory match feature a little bit later. So, as you may have gathered, Burnley's past record in second-tier home games against Huddersfield is very impressive. Played 8, won 7, with no draws and just one defeat. Burnley's goal tally 4 is 17, with just 6 against. Regular listeners of the show will of course know that at this point in the preview, we like to have a little bit of fun and rate 
uh, opposition fans, celebrity fan base. Now, we've had some ups and downs this season with this. And actually, we got into a little bit of bother this week, Tom, didn't we, with uh, with Statman Dave, who was very much criticising our our scoring method, saying that some some teams that had really good fans got very poor numbers and the opposite around we wanted didn't. So he, he doesn't know how we're going to score it this season. So that's how I like it. Um, before we go on to the list that Dave's produced for us, off the top of your head, did you know any celebrity Huddersfield fans? Uh, I knew Patrick Stewart. That's the the obvious one that jumps out. Yes, um, I remember when they won in the playoffs, I remember it, it was one of them where the camera's panning to him every like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember that. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and see what Dave has given us in terms of celebrity fans. Number one on the list is Patrick Stewart, who Dave reminds us is an actor, has had a long career on stage and screen spanning seven decades. I don't think we needed that explanation, Dave, but thank you so much anyway. Um, second on that list is Reese Dinsdale, an actor who's got, also got a long stage career, plus Coronation Street and Emmerdale. Coming in at number three is Chris Fountain, also an actor, this is an actor heavy list, is this, most notably in Hollywood Hawks and in Coronation Street, although I do remember Chris Fountain as having a very good season on Dancing on Ice, so that's where I know him from. Uh, coming in at number four, Andrew Gale, former cricketer and cricket coach. Five, gosh, Jodie Whittaker, the 13th Doctor in Doctor Who. That's a serious black moment, is that, Tom? Doctor Who's on this list. Doctor Who. Um, and then finally, another actress, Zoe Looker, who's most notably known as Tanya Turner in Footballers' Wives. Where We're going to have to give that a score. Where are you going with that, Tom? What are you going to score our Huddersfield celebrity fans? To be honest, when I'm when I'm looking at that list, I'm thinking uh, uh, it, it put me in mind of the 2003-04 season and... Uh, Patrick Stewart is very much the the Robbie Blake of that list. He's he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting to keep that team afloat. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll get a few points. Are you for talking Patrick. about Patrick Stewart by any chance? <laughs> I am. Yes, uh, they'll get a few points for Patrick Stewart, and I'm going to be generous and give him a bonus point because they've got a Whitaker in there, which is always nice. So a double T Whitaker as well. Absolutely, yeah, the correct spelling of Whitaker. So are, are you? Hang on a second. Are you not? Are you not going to give a credit for the fact that she's Doctor Who? Not that she's a Whittaker. <laughs> well, my uh, my feelings about sci-fi are probably similar to Richard's about Harry oh, Potter. Oh, good grief! I'm, See, uh, this is this. I'm not, not the biggest fan. This feature is taking us in directions that I didn't expect this season. It's turned into like hot debate of the week, like controversial take on popular culture in film and television. We've got Richard Steele, who's never watched Harry Potter. We've got Tom Whittaker, who doesn't have much time for Doctor Who. I'm going to start revising my list of favourites. I'm just just telling you this. Um, so sorry, I got sidetracked by it. What are you giving them? What did you, what did you score? Did you give them? Sorry, yes, a six. So I went for a six. A six. Yeah. Okay. I was expecting to go lower than six, but I approve of six. So I'm going to moderate that and say six stands. There you go, Huddersfield. We rank your celebrity fans with six out of ten. Let's head straight back to the preview show studio where once again, resident statistician Dave Roberts is going to give us the memory match. For this week's memory match, we're taking you back to Burnley's last promotion campaign in 2015-16 and the last meeting at Turf Moor at this level between the two teams. Although we have, of course, contested matches in the Premier League and the FA Cup since then. The match in question took place on Halloween 
Saturday the 31st of October 2015 and was a 3pm kickoff. Opposing Sean Dyche in the visitors' dugout was Chris Powell. Goalkeeper Tom Heaton was the Burnley captain and central defender Mark Hudson was skipper for the visitors. Just over 1,300 Terriers fans made the trip over the Pennines in a Turf Moor crowd of 16,749. After just 12 minutes, Burnley were awarded a penalty after Andre Gray's surging run into the box was stopped unfairly by Joel Lynch, who brought down the pacey Burnley striker. He got back up to take the spot kick himself and sent Jed Steer the wrong way to register the opener. And it was that man again, Andre Gray, who doubled Ali just before the break, with a powerful angled right-footed shot low across the goal, which gave Jed Steer no chance, and made it 2-0 at the break. The score remained that way until two minutes before the end, when a low cross deflected off Michael Keane, and was diverted past Tom Heaton off the boot of Michael Duff. But it was merely a consolation, and the match finished as a 2-1 victory for the Clarets. After the match, Sean Dyche said, they were two very good goals. The first goal comes off an 11-pass move from our keeper, all the way through the midfield onto the forwards, allowing Andre to get in behind for a penalty, of course. The second goal was very similar, very good movement, very good passing of play, fine link-up play between Vokes and Gray for a superb strike, I felt. It makes a game of it, the last five or six minutes with them scoring. It was actually from a corner that we should have gone 3-0 up. We didn't, and that's the complexity of football. The win ensured that Burnley remained in third place in the championship table with 28 points after 14 matches. We were level on points with Hull City but just behind them on goal difference and Brighton were two points ahead and top of the table on 30 points. Huddersfield Town were in 16th position with 14 points from their first 14 matches. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And our opposition view this week is brought to us by our friends from And He Takes That Chance podcast. Here's what the Huddersfield fans had to say ahead of this week's game. Hi chaps, it's hard to believe that it was July the last time we met. Uh, Since then we've seen stability, free-flowing football, tactical ingenuity, flair, lots of goals and... And wait, that's you lot, isn't it? Not us. Uh, Since that day in July, you lot have hit top gear and we've pressed reversed. What a revolting, miserable, insidious pile of football rubbish this has been for Huddersfield Town. Obviously we got to the player final, got done over last season, but then conspired to do ourselves over several times by selling our best players, replacing them with absolute piffle, um, and making really bad decision after bad decision. 
We've also probably had the worst luck in the league. I know everyone says that, but I genuinely think we have. Uh, whether it's refereeing debacles, goal line technology not working or and costing us points or just suffering with endless injuries, which has seen our relatively small squad be absolutely decimated. We've currently got five out for the season, have done since before Christmas pretty much, and have had another three or four miss several months at a time as well. It's been a, a horrific season, really. Um, throwing two absolutely ridiculous head coach appointments and this has been a season of self-harm but we've played the Warnock card you know the bat signal or the Warnock signal's gone out and we're we're pinning our hopes now on a a 74 year old retiree to come and save the day Um, we need him to the owner's trying to sell the club and the word is that interest will wane if we go down to League One I absolutely hate League One so it's not only prospective owners whose interest will be on the fritz if we go down but Unfortunately, I think we will. Um, we've pressed the Warnock panic button around six weeks too late, in my opinion. Absolutely massacred the January transfer window and amazingly made ourselves weaker by the end of it. Uh, Warnock's described this weekend as a free hit. He's trying to take the pressure off the players for when the inevitable hammering takes place. Um, it'll be ugly. It'll be bad. It'll be a meek surrender. You'll have fun. We won't. All the best, guys. <laughs> some referee information as well before we get into the analysis of the game itself. The referee on Saturday will be 34-year-old Matt Donoghue. He's originally from Essex, but is now based in Sale. He started as a referee at the age of 14 and gained promotion to the EFL list of assistant referees in 2014. He turned his attentions to becoming a frontline referee in 2016, and in 2018 he joined the national list of referees just 12 months later, gaining promotion to the Select 2 list in the summer of 2019. This will be the first time he has taken charge of a Burnley match, although he was the fourth official for our FA Cup replay win over Ipswich Town. The only red card he has shown so far this season was to John Egan of Sheffield United in their 3-1 win over Coventry City on Boxing Day. There you go, that's your referee. Um, Tom, let's actually have a look at the game itself. Back at Turf Moor, which is welcome. Back into what should be on paper an easier run of fixtures. Um, Huddersfield, of course, recently taken over by Neil Warnock. Had a little bit of a new manager bump, but still around the bottom of the table. Um, Should on paper be a comfortable win for Burnley? Are we bold enough to say that? Yeah, I think it it puts me in mind of... um... I remember the last time we played a Neil Warnock team was was the last time we were in the championship and he'd just taken over at Rotherham. Mm. Um, we played him at home and and it's not going to be an easy game in the fact that I think they'll just come and put 10 men behind the ball and and try and grind something out. Um, and I remember that Rotherham game. I think we won 2-0, but it was a bit of a slog. I'm expecting similar to my, on uh, on Saturday. I don't expect us to win five or six nil as we might have done on, with uh, a previous sort of field manager in charge, but I can't see them causing us any problems. I think it'll just be another bit of traditional, bit of a grind, but we'll we'll get the goals that we need to, to get the three points. Yeah. This fixture, I can't help but think of the start of the season because, of course, this was our first game um, away at home, the opening game of the season, where we were all nervous. We, If you remember the, the fun and games on Twitter leading up to the game where literally nobody had the foggiest idea who was going to start the game. We still didn't know who half of our players were. There were new signings that had only been in the building a couple of weeks. And we got the team sheet and everyone was like, nope, no idea, but here we go. Let's start life in the championship. And we all came off that game with this look of, 
what on earth have we just seen? It was our introduction to the new rebranded Burnley and we were all giddy with excitement. And even now, looking at this team now, Tom, we're a completely different side to the one that we excitedly watched at that Huddersfield game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when being outside the ground when the team team came out and it was there was Taylor playing centre half, yeah, Costello on the right hand side, Barnes and I just and it looked like uh, the kind of team Sean Dyche used to put up in the in the early yeah, rounds of, of the cup. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my god, it's going to be a long season. And then, as you say, half time, I was just like open mouth, just couldn't believe how good it was. And like you say, that those positions, you think now, I mean, Barnes looks like a different player to what he was six months ago. You've got. Zero, you've got a World Cup semi-finalist playing on, on the wing instead of uh, Dara Costello. And uh, we've got Beckenbauer back for Saturday as well. So, we do, yes. You, you know, the, the team is, is, it is a really good team we've got this year. It's uh, And you think how well we played with that kind of makeshift team. Uh, you'd, yeah, you'd like to think we, it, it will be an even better performance mm-hmm. on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's certainly something to do. It's funny, really, because you are probably one of, Actually, if, if we take George out of the equation, who, quite frankly, we never know what mood George is going to be in his extremes from one end to the other, bless him. But out of the rest of us rational ones, you're probably the most positive, like naturally out of the entire known and ever team. And I remember at the beginning of the season where you were genuinely really worried about this season. You were really down in the dumps about it. And it was getting us all really concerned because it was like, gosh, if Tom's being like this, what hope is there for the rest of us? Um, and I, I just I remember just smiling at my phone when you text us all after that Huddersfield and you were just so relieved and you were so happy. And it's just, it's just I've just got really nice memories for lots of reasons of that Huddersfield game. Um, you've already mentioned it once. Bayer is back at the weekend, which is a huge boost. Um, I don't think it's controversial to drop um, Alder Keel and bring him in with um, Ekdal, is it? I think I fully expect that's how we'll play. Yeah, absolutely. I think... He looks a good player, Alderkeel, but I think Ekdal has just slotted straight in. And I yeah. think easy to forget from the games that Alderkeel has played that he's only 20. Like he's got a lot of, he's just got a big 20 season. as well. Mm. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think probably Ekdal and Bayer, um, maybe Hold. I just think you're picking two of them three at the minute if they're all fit. Yeah. Well, actually, I did see on Instagram last night THB did put a little post on it of him in a Burnley shirt. And it made me feel really sad because it, it, I feel like he's really missing it. I feel like he's, did you see the post where he was like, I really can't wait to be playing again back on turf. And I was like, oh no, poor thing. It just, it felt like a bit of a, I'm really sad and I'm really missing you all, Paul, which is for a long player, really lovely to see. Really lovely to see. Um, With no news yet on Jay and Benson, I think Jen, Benson at the, the moment, probably a bigger loss. I say loss, the team's doing really well without Benson, but I am missing, I'm missing that trademark crossing, opening his body up and chucking it back at net from about, five yards wide and 28 yards, you know, it's a great ball in, is that? Um, Jay's not in yet either. Um, any other changes to the team that you envisage or do we literally go with what we have done? Um, what, what are you thinking? I think um, I've been quite pleasantly surprised by Vitinha playing and on the wing. You know, he came on at Luton and, and he started against Millwall playing that wide right position, but I don't think it's his, his natural position. And I think against the team that are more sort of... Uh, dig in 10 behind the ball it, it might not be the, the best game to play in there so hopefully if Teller's back to full fitness him back in the starting lineup or I know company said that Cheerling off has been ill or injured um, mm, poorly is it yeah. his timing seems to be bad because I think it, it, if he'd been fit for those two he would have he would have played a role and I'd like to see him get a bit of a run 
Um, so maybe if he's fit, then then he'll get a run out at some point. Uh, be interesting. I thought Twine played quite well on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but then we seem to be better when the midfield three is caught Cullen and Brownell. So I'm not not 100 sure I would go with that. What 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 was your thinking on that? I don't know to be honest. I mean, it's really difficult when when we've got Teller fit. I'm just really enjoying the Teller Barnes partnership. So I'd be tempted to um, drop JBG, um, start with Zorore just to give him a chance to get back to that spark again. Um, you can always swap Zorori around and maybe bring JBG on if he's struggling a little bit. Um, I just think if we start with Teller and Barnes up front and maybe Zorori on the wing, I think that gives us more options off the bench than maybe the other way around. So I think as, as amazing as JBG has been, I just don't think we need his experience or his greater physicality. I think we can, against bottom of the league side at home to Huddersfield, I think we can afford to have the luxury players in Zorori and Teller that are maybe not as physically um, strong, but flary and exciting. And, and and I think I think that's the right pick for me. Yeah, it's a good share, I think. I think good, Zorori excellent. Gold, aren't he? It, it needs, yeah, he does. It, not just a goal, even if he just does a really good assist, I just think he just needs a little bit of... Because I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with where he's playing. It's just when they're that age and it's a big step up for him and he's in the limelight a lot, sometimes, you know, the consistency is difficult at that age. The consistency comes with a bit more experience as they hone in those skills and they're used to playing in those arenas. So getting Zaruri back at home will help. He really, really thrives off the turf more crowd. He loves it. Um, I sit really close to the pitch in the James Hargreaves stand and whenever his rounders is doing throw-ins, just he's always interacting with the crowd, he's always smiling. I, I, that guy, I love that guy so much. He smiles amazing. But um, anyway, score prediction for me, please, Tom. Uh, I'll say the same as that that Rotherham game a few years ago. I've got that in my head for some reason, so I'll say 2-0. 2-0, excellent. Um, well, listeners, we've got a little bit of bad news for you. Actually, it might not be no news to anybody who does not care in the slightest, but this is going to be the last edition of Brommers Bankers, I'm afraid. Um, I've recently taken up a position where um, I'm not permitted to bet on football games and or encourage others to bet on football games. So uh, we're going to have to draw it to an end, I'm afraid. Um, it's not yet kicked in, so this will be our final Brommers Bankers. Um, I will still give you a score prediction, but it won't be branded in a this is what I think you should. <laughs> not that I've ever encouraged you to, but but it's not going to be branded as Brommers Bankers anymore this week. But I am going to go for a convincing Burnley win. I think there's going to be an absolute riot. Back to winning ways, back to goal scoring. I'm going to predict a 4-0 home win for the Clarets. So there you go. Um, we're going to leave you with Dave's. Um, he hasn't pre-recorded this because he's still been a little bit lazy, listeners. I'm going to have a word with him, get him to pre-record these. Um, he'd like to leave you his miscellaneous stat of the week. And this one comes as follows. Ashley Barnes has scored at least one goal for Burnley in every one of the last 10 calendar years. Wow, I didn't realise that. Um, the last Clarets player to achieve a sequence of 10-plus scoring years for the club was... <gasps> da -da 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 -da. Jimmy McElroy, 1950 to 1962. Quite an achievement, I am sure you'll agree. Quite liking the fact that we've got an Ashley Barnes um, stat of the week, Tom. I think we're all loving a little bit of Barnes right now, aren't we? In some perspective, that, doesn't it? It's quite an achievement, really. It really is. Considering the leagues that we've asked him to play in, considering 
the fact that he's never been first choice striker, the fact that he's always been covering for somebody else, the fact that he's always been an understudy and he's just refused to leave, I just think it's incredible. Um, I really do. I hope that the club let him stay on after he's retired and at least work with us and try and get his coaching badges and get some experience as a coach. I think that would be a very nice, I think that's the least we can do for his service to the club. And I think that would be in a popular um, appointment by the fans as well. Uh, no fantasy Premier League update this week. Um, we're in the middle of another game week. Um, and actually, I don't think any games have actually been played in the Premier League since um, we last gave you an update. So we've definitely not got anything there. So all that remains is for us to leave you with this week's quiz question. It is as follows. We mentioned earlier in the show that Ashley Barnes was the first Burnley player since Jimmy McElroy to score for the club in 10 successive calendar years. Five other Burnley players have scored for the club in nine consecutive calendar years, not seasons, he's saying here, by the way. There's a clue there. He's saying in brackets, not seasons, calendar years since the Second World War. How many of them can you name? Comment on the video below or you can tweet us at known and ever or you can leave a comment on our facebook page that is all we have time for the clarets in action again this weekend see if they can keep that unbeaten run to 14 games and once again take another step closer to the premier league i've been natalie bromley this has been the known and never football show and podcast brought to you in association with the talk sport fan network until next time the Known and Ever podcast is brought to you in association with the Talk Sport Fan Network. Natalie Bromley is the host and editor, and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts, and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. The analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Richard Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby, Adam Dennett, and Robbie Kopak. Our music is provided by George Gaskill, and our newsletter team is headed up by James Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonadnever.substack.com. Our thanks as ever go to our partners, TalkSport. We are, as ever, proud to be part of the TalkSport fan network. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.